Amen. All right, I want you to do me a favor. Close your eyes and picture 10 years from now. You're at a family reunion, your family. It's a barbecue. What do you see? Just, you know, dream. What do you see going on at this family get-together 10 years from now? Maybe your 10-year-old your is now 20. Uh, maybe you have a 17-year-old grandson there at that point. But what do you, what do you see? Is, are your kids getting along together? Are they all there? Um, are they all sober and clean? Um, is your wife next to you holding your hand? Or is she uh, not there because you didn't prioritize her? Is your husband there listening intently to every word you say? Or is he hiding in the gazebo because he doesn't need another lecture? What, what do you see going on? Picture that family. Now, you have the picture. Now you can look up. <laughs> How can we get there? I think it's really important. We, we've titled this series Future Family. How can we get to that, that place where we have this ideal picture, where we follow the blueprint and we have it? By the way, nothing's perfect. <laughs> it, you know, I mean, we, we want to have this ideal. And, and here's the thing about even preaching on this topic. I fall so far short of the ideal here that there's this little voice that goes, don't even talk about it. You're so far from it. But yet, but yet, it's important for us to look at the ideal in scripture because it is, we can move in that direction. Um, just if, if you're here and you have already messed up, maybe you have a divorce, you're on your second marriage, you're in the midst of a divorce. We're all in different places. We don't want to feel guilty. We want to look forward. That's why we're saying future family. Our past decisions affect us now, but our current decisions will affect our future. And our future can look different than our present, and we can move toward the ideal. And God's grace is sufficient for the mistakes that we've made, and we can, we can, we can get better. Um, this morning, we're going to follow up on last week. Last week, here was the, the summary of last week. The foundation of a strong family is to actively love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, teaching God's words to the next generations. That's the foundation, that at home, our lives are centered around Jesus. Men, it's based on you pursuing Jesus intimately, really, not faking it, not doing the religion thing, pursuing Jesus in your heart, that's where it starts. Wives, moms, ladies, same with you. We pursue God and then, we teach our kids how to do that also, or our grandkids, or our, our nephews. Now we're going to get more specific. This week, we're going to look at kind of the key ingredient to a healthy family. Kind of like uh, apple pie needs apples, or the key ingredient to a pixie stick is what? Sugar. <laughs> What's the key ingredient to a healthy, strong family? And we're going to see that it's really marriage. Now, here's what makes this hard. Some of us aren't married. Some of us used to be. And so we want to handle this gently and, and again say God's grace is sufficient. And this is also why we have a church family. This is partly why we do groups the way we do groups. We don't have women's groups because if we did, all the single women would go to those groups and they wouldn't get the benefit of being in a group with other men. And, and your kids, single moms, your kids wouldn't get the benefit of getting together with these other godly men pursuing God. And the same way in the other direction. 
So we have groups the way we do them so that we can experience some of this family even if we don't have it at home. Again, God's grace is sufficient and God loves you and your kids more than you love you and your kids. But with that said, we're gonna look at marriage. We're gonna look at what God's plan is for marriage. Within the family, the marriage relationship is first priority. The summary is really found in Colossians. As we're looking at families, and we've been going through the book of Colossians, that's why we hit this topic now. But Colossians 3, 18 to 21 gives us the, the blueprint for the family. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So that's our, our starting point, but we are actually going to turn to Ephesians. We're going to study Ephesians because the, Ephesians 5 is really the, the seminal passage on marriage. And so we're going to study this one. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. Lord Jesus Christ, this is a, a heavy topic. This is a topic that is central to society. It is central to a life of, of flourishing. It is central to the church, but it's also a, a topic in an area where there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of dysfunction we've already experienced. We've, we've made mistakes, all of us. And so we need your grace. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that our future doesn't have to look like our past. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price on the cross, that we could have new life in you, and you've given us the Holy Spirit, that we can live differently, that we can experience the life you planned for us. You, you said that you came, that we may have life and have it abundantly. And we know that's possible. Regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, you can restore that and, and help us moving forward. We love you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would do your will this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, why is marriage such a big deal? As we look at this passage, why is marriage such a big deal? And if you're in here and you're not yet married, this is perfect for you. Gunner, you're going to get married someday, maybe. This is perfect for you. Take good notes. Because if you take good notes on this, those of you not yet married, you can avoid a lot of the problems 
that we've, some of us, many of us have already experienced. Why is marriage such a big deal? As you, you see this passage, Paul kind of weaves in a, a discussion about husbands and wives in marriage and Jesus and his church. And sometimes it's hard to tell, what's he talking about? Marriage now or Jesus and the church? And typically, or really throughout it, it's both. A Christian marriage should be a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. The marriage is probably the best example we have of the gospel in day-to-day -day life. It's really an illustration of the gospel. How does Jesus love his church? That's how husbands are supposed to love their wives. And so the other way around, kids, neighbors, family can see how husbands love their wives and go, okay, I get a picture a little bit of Jesus. And on the other way, they see how wives treat their husbands and go, okay, this is a picture of how the church, we are the church, the bride of Christ are to respond to Jesus, our head, our savior. A Christian marriage should be a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. If I was going to ask you, and I want you to either write in your notes or get it in your head, what is your spouse or future spouse? What does your spouse need most from you? What does your spouse need most from you? Think about it. We're going to answer this at the end because there is an answer to this. What does your spouse need most from you? And here's the problem. Why marriages are so dysfunctional and why families are so dysfunctional. One, we don't know God's blueprint for marriage. Or two, we know it and we refuse to do it. Marriages and families are dysfunctional when we refuse to fulfill our God-given role within the family. So we're gonna, we're gonna give, I'm going to give you the roles, then I'm going to tell you a story. The wife is called to be a submissive helper, and the husband is called to be a loving head. We see that in this passage, and we also see that in Genesis. You know, there's several passages listed on there. Uh, they're not popping up. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 25, 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 13, and Genesis 2, 18. These are the other places, and there's more that support that this is the, the God-given roles within marriage. The wife is to be the submissive helper. The husband is to be a loving head. Anybody have a problem with those? If you're honest, you're going to do this, probably. Girls, I had, a, I had a premarital counseling session this week, and we were talking about this. And, and one of them in there, the, the girl I had in youth group many, many years ago, and she said, I remember you teaching on this forever ago. And I had a real problem with that idea of submission. And if we're honest, that is kind of a problem, isn't it? It's kind of a rub. I heard a pastor preach on this, a great pastor, well-known pastor preach on this passage, and he did everything possible to avoid the topic of submission. And I understand that because it's so sticky. It's hard to understand. And our modern idea of submission, it's, it's not very pleasant. It's the idea of somebody underneath somebody else and, oh, you're, you know, I, I just serve you and worship. And that's not, that's not the biblical idea of submission. So rather than try and avoid it, we're going to try and understand it and deal with it. So I'm going to ask you for some grace because this is one of the most difficult topics to handle graciously and honestly with Scripture. But we have to be honest with Scripture. But here's the problem. Either we don't know our role or we don't do it. Within marriage, at some point, unless you're really weird, there's been an issue with submission where wives are like, I'm not so crazy about that. And on the other side, husbands are supposed to be a loving head, but yet we tend to go to two extremes. Either we become passive or we become domineering. 
And I think throughout history, domineering is maybe the way husbands have leaned to become domineering and dominant, which is not God's plan. But nowadays, husbands are leaning more to be kind of passive. And is it, doesn't that make sense? I mean, man, it's a lot easier just to not do stuff than it is to do stuff. Responsibility is hard. I'd rather not do anything. And so we need to understand that this is actually normal. So if you're sitting here thinking, I know that's the ideal and that's the picture, but I don't like it, guess what? You're normal. And here's why. In a galaxy not so far away, many years ago, some things happened. If we pick it up right here, it's kind of like picking up a, a series, you know, a TV series in the fourth season. You're like, I don't know these characters. I don't know what's going on. If we just pick up marriage right here, we have to go back a little bit. So it's kind of like previously on, well, previously on humanity. Previously on humanity, God spoke and he created man out of dirt, by the way. Created man out of dirt, out of the dust, breathed life, gave him responsibility over creation. Then he said, it's not good that man should be alone. So he put him to sleep. He sedated him somehow, took his rib and created woman. And it was perfect. He put them in a garden. This is a true story. This isn't some, I mean, this is in the Bible. This is what happened. God created this way. Many would say that God created a woman out of a rib because it's the side, meaning equality. He didn't create her out of the foot or something else, but, but side by side is what God intended for husbands and wives. So he created and everything was good. The man knew his role and was fine with it. The woman knew her role. By the way, the roles then are the same as they are now. That didn't change. But then something happened. They were in the garden. Things were going good. We know the story. Satan tempted Eve. There was only one rule, only one rule, and God gave the one rule, don't eat from that tree. Why? Because he wanted his people to lovingly choose to follow him and obey him. So he gave them one rule. He had to. Just think about it logically. He had to have something in there, some fail check to make sure we're following him because he wants our love, not just our obedience. Well, the day came, you know, where Eve was seduced by Satan and she ate and everything changed. That was the first sin, or was it? If you're familiar with Genesis, maybe you know the answer to the question, where was Adam when Eve ate the fruit? It's in Genesis 3. He was there with her. So this wasn't Eve's sin by herself. This was, I would say, more man's sin than even Eve's because the husband, Adam, stood there and watched as Satan twisted things and seduced, and he didn't intervene. He was the one, if you read through Genesis, God gave the instructions to Adam, not to Eve. He gave the instructions to Adam, then he made Eve, and Adam was responsible to pass on God's instructions to her. Here's what God said, let's not touch that tree. Really, he didn't say that. He said, you shall not eat from the tree. He didn't say, don't touch it. But in, in, in Eve's interaction with Satan, Satan's like, did God say that you shouldn't touch that tree? He said, yeah, we shouldn't eat of it or touch it. So Eve got a, so there was something going on there. Adam was right there watching it. The first passive husband. She ate and everything changed because she then gave it to him and he ate too. And here's what happened. The curse. They sinned and the curse was handed down. It was given to them and to their kids, which is us. This is our great, great, great to whatever power, parents, grandparents. Their sin was passed to us because we were born into it, but also because at some point we chose to sin, right? I mean, I guess we could show our hands who has never sinned. Nobody. So, so we, oh, call it awesome. Let's talk later. <laughs> so we've all sinned, meaning we've all fallen under this curse. And here's a big thing. Man's curse, hard labor. 
before, they worked before, worked the garden, but it was easier. You know, there weren't all these weeds and thorns and goat heads. Now we've got all that. So now work is more difficult. But the curse to the woman was this, one, pain and childbearing. And then this, in Genesis 3.16, God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Part of the curse was that the woman's desire would be for her husband. And most people would, would agree, most commentators would agree, that means that her desire would be to control her husband. Her desire would be to have authority over her husband, but he would be the one with the authority. So this rub that you feel, it's normal. It's part of the curse. Your desire, ladies, to be in control is sin in you. And men, your desire to be passive or dominant is sin in you. It's a result of the curse. But that's not the end of the story. When Jesus came and died on the cross, something happened. The curse began to be broken. It was an awesome day. I mean, Jesus talks about it. He says, I saw Satan fall from his throne that day. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he was winning a victory. Then Jesus rose from the dead. Everything changed. Sin, death was broken. It gives me chills. We don't understand the power of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. Everything, the game changed. Satan lost that power. So now we in Jesus can, those chains to sin can be broken. Women, wives, your desire to dominate, that can be broken. Men, your desire to be passive can be broken. Now, it's still a tendency because there's still sin in us to go back into it, but it's broken. Now, it's called sanctification. We can become more and more like Jesus and experience the roles as God planned. And guess what? Marriage can be awesome. It can be amazing. If we know our roles and in Jesus, go by our roles, try and fulfill our roles. So let's look at each role real quick. What it is and what it isn't. And then we're going to see an action step. Wife, submissive helper. What it is not. It is not you silently doing whatever your husband says. It is not you being a doormat. Uh, it, it is not you not having a voice. It is not all women to all men. You hear that? So ladies, you, you are not called to, and I've heard this in church, that women are supposed to submit to men. That's not true. Only within the marriage, the wife is to be submissive to her husband. Husbands... What being the head is not. It is not demanding submission. If you'll notice here in this passage, uh, as Paul's writing, he, he says in verse 22, what's the first word? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He never says, husbands, make sure your wife submits. In fact, we don't, we don't have that right. Because this idea of submission is a choice on the woman's part to willingly place herself under the husband. It's her choice. We don't have the right or the privilege to demand it. So, don't bring it up. That, that's not your role. It's not, being the head is not leading powerfully and making all the decisions. That's, that's not what it is. And it's definitely not always getting your way. It's not this privilege that you have, that, that you get your way. Here's what it is. Submission is a choice, as we said. A choice as unto the Lord. That's in, in verse 22. Look at that. Uh, wives, uh, submit as to the Lord. Here's the picture I, I like of that. It's like you're submitting to your husband, 
here's your husband, but behind your husband is Jesus. And so really you're submitting to Jesus as he's placed this role. So if your husband is telling you to do anything contrary to Scripture, your answer is no. No, because you, you are submitting as unto Jesus. And husbands, yours is a responsibility, not an authority. Here's, I think, a, a great picture. A great picture of this is a football team. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, playing street football was a ton of fun. Or, you know, at, at recess, you go out. And what's the position everybody fighted over? Fought over. Quarterback, right? Oh, here's some kids right here. You, okay. Quarterback. Everybody wants to be quarterback, even those that aren't very good at it. They can't throw. Everybody wants to be quarterback, so you fight over quarterback. Well, you get in the huddle, right? And the quarterback is supposed to call the play. A dysfunctional team is one where all the, the kids come in the, and they're like, I think we should do this. I think I was wide open. Why didn't you see me? It's kind of that, that way in, in family where the wife goes, why didn't you do this? I, you know, I want to be in charge. You, you should be in control. Rather, the quarterback is supposed to call the play, but everybody's equal on the team. It's a team working in the same direction. When I was in college, uh, I played flag football. Actually, that's how Kelly and I met. I was her flag football coach. But our team was really, really good. We had a, we had a quarterback that was really good. Uh, I think we lost five games in three years. But we would get in the huddle, and there was really this, I mean, we were friends, so there was this mutual respect. And so the quarterback would call the play, and we would go run the play. And we wanted the quarterback to do well, because if the team did well, if he did well, we did well. And the quarterback wanted the receivers to do well, because if they did well, he did well. Same as in marriage. But we'd get in the huddle, and people would speak. They'd say, hey, I can beat this guy if I do this, this route. You know? and, and the quarterback would go, okay, here's our play. And he would call the play based on recommendations from the team but he would then call the play and we would carry out the play. I think that's the picture of, of marriage. Husbands are the quarterback, but they're not the sole decision maker. The wives speak into it. A helper means you're helping point the direction. I mean, we know you, you ladies are a lot better at a lot of things than we are. And so you're speaking in and helping guide. And in many things, being the great leaders we are, we should just totally defer to you. We should just put it in your hands. You're better at this. You take that. So I hope that's a helpful picture of what submission is and is not. But just like playing football on a really good team is fun, marriage, when it's done well, is a lot of fun also. Now, husbands, what's your responsibility? To make all the decisions, to get your way. Look at verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, your role is to take responsibility to love your wife. I recently made the mistake in conversation going, man, if husbands really loved this way, it would be easy for wives to submit. And somebody's like, I don't think that's true. I said, no, you're right. It's not true because we still have sin in us. We, it's still going to be hard. Even if the husband does it perfectly, it's still going to be hard. But the husband's role is to love. Take the responsibility to love. How? Verse 25, like Jesus. How did Jesus love the church? He gave himself up for her. He died for her. I like that the explanation of the roles is the wife is supposed to live for her husband and the husband is supposed to die for his wife. And husbands will quickly go, oh, I'd take a bullet for her. I'd jump in front of a truck. Like, yeah, that's the easiest form of dying. How about daily dying to yourself and placing her as more important than you? Dying to yourself and loving her, that's the picture we have here of 
Do dead people have wants, desires, rights? No. Go into a graveyard and go, okay, who wants steak? Who wants to get you? Dead people have no rights. And that's us, husbands. We're dead to ourselves and alive to our wives, meaning, what is it you want to do? How can I serve you? You know, there's never that time, rarely that time where the husband goes, I'm putting my foot down. That's not the role of husbands. We've been married 15 years. Close. <laughs> We've been married 15 years. And in that time, maybe twice where I've gone, you know what, this is what we're going to do. And I don't even remember the details. One was something with kids. I didn't, you know, I think the kids should go stay the night or there. I'm like, I don't feel safe with the kids there. I have to say no to that. Uh, maybe once. That's not our role to, to put our foot down and make all these firm decisions. The summary is in verse 33. It says, however, after all this explanation, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. Love your wife like your own body. Give her what she needs before you get what you need. Husbands, I put in here, you're not her father. You're equal partners with different roles. You should talk about everything. Finances, don't spend over 100 bucks without talking to each other. Whatever it is. Men, she would love for you to lead spiritually. She would love for you to initiate prayer together, reading scripture together. But guess what, ladies? We would love for you to remind us. <laughs> really? Not nag, but remind. Help us. <laughs> you know, I'd say with Callie and I, more often than not, she's the one that says, let's pray together. And being the great leader that I am, I do what she says. <laughs> but as a, as a team, we, we work together. You know, as we look at these roles, you know, I think it's pretty obvious. We, we know this one. Husbands, what, what does your wife need most from you? Love. Is that what you answered at the beginning? What does she, you probably did. Love. But here's the thing, as I met with someone recently, a couple, and I was talking to him, I said, here's what she needs most. She needs love. And she needs you to express love in a way she'll understand. And she just sat there nodding like this. I'm like, what are the things you do to show her love? And he lists some things. I'm like, is that how you feel love? Mm. The problem is we speak different languages. We speak different languages. I'm going to express love in a certain way. It's like, I don't hear love that way. Here's the thing I put in my notes. Well, here's husbands. Your primary job is to give your wife the one thing she needs most, your love. <laughs> I put this. Um, we're different. Men and women are different. By the, I don't care what the culture tries to tell us. We're different. And, and wives... Um, how do we put this nicely? Uh, they, they have whatever Dory has in Finding Nemo. Uh, what is it? Short-term memory loss. Meaning, you need to tell your lover a lot. <laughs> All the time. Because once a day, probably not enough. She has short-term memory loss. And this isn't a diss on ladies. This is the way God made us. This is their greatest need. I, I asked some before service started, ladies, what does your husband do that, that you really appreciate the most? You know, and there was things like, on his way home from work, he stops in, in the summer and he picks those wild sunflowers and brings them to me. Well, why would she appreciate that? It means he's thinking about her when he's out doing work and driving home. 
That's pretty, that's showing love. Or another one is, he cooks for me. He cooks for me. I said, well, what else? No, that's it. He cooks for me. I really appreciate that. He makes things the way I like and, and focuses. That's the way she feels love. And I put this in my notes. This is really important. Perception is everything. So a lot of times I'll hear wives say, I don't feel like he loves me. And he goes, but I've done this, this, and this. I don't feel love. Guess what? Perception is everything. We speak different languages. And guess who gets to choose the language? The one hearing. So right now, wives, they, they need love, and they get to decide how they hear love. And so husbands, our job isn't to show love however we want to. Our job is to show love the way she hears love, if that makes sense. Perception is everything. So if they're not feeling love, you're doing something wrong, and you need to figure that out. Ladies, we're not going to figure it out, so you need to tell us. I know, here's the thing, I know it works best if we just figure it out, right? We should know what you want. We should know the way you feel love and then express it. But guess what? We, we don't. <laughs> and so we need you to remind us and, and help us. I know it feels way better if we just remember your birthday and do something super special. But it wouldn't hurt two days before, hey, my birthday's in two days. I love it when you bring me breakfast in bed. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> that, that makes it a lot easier than afterward, you didn't bring me breakfast in bed. You don't love me. You should have told me. I would have done it. So I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Perception is everything. And men, work hard to understand her language. How does she hear it? Then speak it. Now, here's, here's the other side. Um, and a lot of this here, you know, we're focusing on this last verse in verse 33. Uh, a lot of it comes from this book here. Um, it's a great book. We have it in the back. You should buy it. Um, but this, this Dr. Emerson Egerix, I think that's how you say it, he noticed something I think very perceptive. This verse right here is pivotal to marriages. And there's a mistake that we make. And I, I knew it, but I didn't, until I heard him explain, I'm like, man, you really nailed that. Ladies, when I said, what does your husband need most from you? Did any of you say love? If you did, you're wrong. <laughs> we don't need love the way you need love. We need something else. Verse 33, respect. And I think respect helps us under, understand this whole submission thing. It's not submission doing whatever they say. It's respect. In, uh, in this book, Dr. Egrix, he cites a study. And it was a study of, uh, I think, 400 couples or 400 men. Uh, and he asked this question. Would you prefer, one, this is for men, to be left alone and unloved in the world, or two, to feel inadequate and disrespected by every, everyone? Would you rather be unloved in the world, or would you feel inadequate and disrespected? Overwhelmingly, men would rather be unloved. We would rather be respected. So as I asked some of the men before, you know, what does your wife do that you really appreciate? I think one kind of nailed it. He said, you know what? She believes in me. She believes in me. I thought, that's, that's it? How would I describe respect? She believes in me and expresses it. So, I mean, Callie can come out, oh, I love you so much. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? I, I, mean, I mean, it's good to hear. Thanks. But, but, uh, 
Or, or she comes and she's like, you know what? I think you are really good at this, and if you pursue this, you're going to change the world. You know, I'm not sure she's ever said it that way. But, 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 but recognizing value and pointing it out, then I get all choked up, and like, she really notices. You, you know, we're made differently. We want you ladies to believe in us and tell us you believe in us. And guess what? It can be the little, okay, here's, this is really stupid. Early on in our marriage, we moved, and we did something, and I packed stuff in a something, uh, in a U-Haul or something, and she's like, man, you are really good at packing stuff. I'm like, I am, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the silliest thing. You know, and then later, a couple years later, we're packing, and she's like, Derek should do this. He, he's just really good at figuring out how stuff fits. I am, aren't I? You know, but it's like, I mean, that's really silly. But that, like, she noticed things and, and valued. Now, on the other side, here were some things that that lady said as I was asking coming in, how do you feel loved? when he compliments me, and not just physically, but when he notices things about me and draws that out. I mean, it's all about recognizing the other person and calling out those things that you see. And ladies, you may have to search really hard for something you respect, but find it and tell us. Respect. This is one of those huge things. I looked it up. I looked up the word respect in the Greek, and it surprised me. You know what the Greek word is? Phobia. Fear. The literal translation of that would be fear. Wives, fear your husbands. But it's not be scared of them. It's hold them up, honor them, meaning you never talk them down to anybody, not even to your moms. You never talk them down. Here's the thing. I know uh, when Callie goes out and about, I can trust what she's saying about me out there. There's been times, and by the way, I fall far short and, and I've had plenty of sin in my life. And there's been times where she said, you know what? I think it'll be helpful for this person if I tell them the sin in your life. Can I tell them? Yes, but she doesn't go tell him. She shows me respect by getting my permission to go share personal things about me. I know she's not gonna cut me down in front of anybody else. And I've heard this. I've heard this in churches. I've heard wives talking about their husbands to other ladies, I mean, in church. And it's like, do you know what you're doing? You, I mean, if you're just taking a machete and cutting him down at the knees. You're just showing him you don't really respect him. Respect is what we need most. And again, Perception is everything. So you may respect him, but if he's not hearing it, you need to learn to speak his language. You need to learn to speak dude, whatever that is, and ask. <laughs> that should be in your notes. Learn to speak dude. But really, speak our language. Tell us you respect us. And, and husbands, when she says something you really value, point it out. Like, when you did that, that was awesome. Now, we're talking about communication here, and that's not our strongest suit, man, I get that. But let's work on that. Communicate how we love, because most of the problems in marriage come and start with a lack of communication. They really do. And next week, our last week in Future Family, we're going to talk about conflict. So we're going to learn how to fight. We're going to get some boxing gloves up here, and we're going to learn how to fight. But conflict, it's a big deal, because not just within marriage, but with kids too, and kids between kids. We need to learn how to have conflict. So that's next week. Uh, but here's, uh, this book I think is super helpful. I actually got it on audio. This love and respect. He points out the crazy cycle. He says, men need respect, women need love. But the woman is like, well, I'm not gonna show him respect because he's not showing me love. And he's like, well, I'm not gonna show her love because she's not showing me respect. And then you get this crazy cycle going and it just keeps going because we go, I'm not getting what I need, so I'm not gonna give them what they need. Rather, let's get everything we need from Christ and then give her what she needs, your love. How do we like to define love? 
It's doing what's best for the person loved when they least deserve it at great personal cost. You don't wait for her to earn it. Did God wait for you to earn his love? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, men, we don't wait for her to show us respect. We show her love. And ladies, don't wait for us to show you love. Show us respect. And we can break that crazy cycle. That crazy cycle can be broken by just one person. Just one person doing their part, showing respect or showing love. Now, this doesn't mean that women don't need respect and men don't need love. But our primary need is, is different. So that beginning question, I hope we answered that. And maybe you learned something new. But I want to go back. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Because the marriage is a picture of the gospel, of Jesus and his church. And here, if we want to thrive as, as kingdom-minded Christians, we need to get really good at this. And there is grace. You know, I know many of us have, were on our second marriages or, or we're divorced, guess what? There is grace. So don't feel guilty. God loves you and God loves your kids and he's gonna provide what they need as you follow him. There is grace because it, we're talking ideal here. I want you to read the, the Bible, Old Testament or New, and find for me an ideal family. You won't. <laughs> you won't. They're all dysfunctional. Even Jesus' family and Mary was awesome. His mom, she rocked. But their family was dysfunctional. There was a point where, where Jesus was teaching and Mary, his mom, and his brothers thought he was out of his mind. And they came and they're like, you need to come with us. So there was, there was dysfunction around the family. There was teasing with his brothers with him. I, and I mean, that would have been the perfect family, right? My point is God's grace is sufficient. Jesus' death and resurrection covers our sin. And moving forward, we can do this right. That picture that you had of your family... That can happen by God's grace. But also, you can do it perfectly, and maybe it won't happen exactly like that. But we can believe that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Here's our, here's our application. Same clipboard. Grab the clipboard. On that, take a minute, and there's a quiz. And by the way, if you're not married, take it anyway. If you're a kid, take the quiz. Because it's, it's going to be helpful to think through this. Now, husbands, don't take it. Don't take the wife's one for her. Um, that would be unloving. Um, <laughs> ladies, don't take the husband's one for him. That would be disrespectful. So take yours. Be honest about this. Examine yourself. James, Jesus' half-brother in Scripture, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. If we just talk about this and walk away and do nothing, we are wasting our time. God wants us to thrive. So examine yourself, be honest. Oh, I see wife's handing it to her husband. That's good. <laughs> and then later, you're not giving this to us. Later, talk about it. Husbands, initiate this conversation later. If you're not married, have a conversation about this with somebody close to you. bunch of high schoolers just walked in with their youth pastor. The watch is broken. <laughs> what? Oh, they were at a retreat. That's right. I hope it was awesome. Good to see you. <laughs> 
All right. If you're, if you're not done with the quiz, keep taking it. I'm going to pray and we're going to close in worship. But take this quiz. Let this be a conversation starter later. Okay, show it. Show it to your spouse. Be humble enough to go, do you think I'm getting this right? And be humble enough maybe to hear some criticism, but let's share that criticism lovingly. Let this be a tool to talk about and move forward and get better. Because guess what? You're not perfect yet, so we don't have to pretend like we are. We have some things to grow on. Uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Right now, I have to thank you most for your grace. Um, as I, as I, I look at scripture, and I look at the ideal family I don't deserve. I don't deserve an ideal family uh, with the sin that I know has been in my life. Um, God, I don't deserve your grace, your mercy, your blessing, but you choose to give it because of what Jesus did on the cross. You choose to love us, not because we deserve it, but because you are so good. We thank you. God, there's, there's pain. We have pain because of mistakes we've made. We have pain because of mistakes others have made. Please heal us. Jesus on the cross, I know you began that process of reconciliation that we can become more like you and we can experience what you planned in Eden. And God, I pray that we would experience that, that, that we would move forward, that you would heal the pain of our past sins, that you would heal the pain caused by others' sins, that our kids would, would do it better than we have done it, that our kids would grow, that they would experience marriage, if that's what you call them to, healthy marriages, one marriage, pure marriages, where there's both love and respect. God, use us for your glory. Use our marriages to be an example to others. God, we love you. Be honored and glorified as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.